Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, you are joined by myself, you're joined by Jack, and you are joined by Crickets. That's it. What's going on? It's only the two of us today. Where's Lawrence? Where's DY? What is Mm. happening here, Jack? Yeah, they're just not committed enough, are they? No. I mean, you know, Lawrence does his wrap-up on his own podcast. He then you know, he sends me a message. I'm like, Hey man, you know, like we doing the podcast today, what's going on? He messaged me and just said, look, mate, honestly, I'm 15 kilos up. I haven't even been able to leave five guys or, or the cheesecake factory. I'm just not in the mood to, uh, to do the potty today. And I'm like, look, I'm sorry, my man, but we're just going to have to carry on without you, I guess. So, you know, I guess the, 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 the take home here is that Lawrence is 15 kilos up and the man hasn't left the cheesecake factory in about three days. So, the, the show must go on. Yeah. I think they're, they're literally sleeping together as we speak in, in New York. <laughs> I did see that. It's like the the poll. Who is uh, who's the big spoon? Who's the, the little spoon in this mm-hmm. equation here? I mean, naturally, DY has got to be the little spoon, right? Yeah. It only, yeah I mean, yeah. now that Lawrence is 15 kilos up, he's, he's heavier than DY. He's, so. he's naturally just got to be the big spoon. Yeah. There's no yeah. other way around it. I don't think DY would be able to sort of even wrap his, you know, hands around the, the stomach sort of thing. Mm. So, I mean, I was going to say, you know, welcome to the, the bodybuilding done on a podcast today, but it's actually just the roasting of DY and, and Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. So, um, think, yeah, right. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, um, we do have a, a jam packed episode for you today. And, but firstly, we're going to go through the WNBF world champs that occurred on the weekend. And now we're officially going to do sort of a proper, I guess, overview of the entire you know, event uh, when when the boys do get back, which will be in a, in a couple of weeks time, I believe. But, um, you know, for the meantime, it'll be good to just have a bit of a discussion around the the show and obviously just give a, a solid shout out to the Australian competitors that that headed over there and, and uh, just showcased their absolute best, you know, representing Australia. So we had uh, Lisa Blackburn, who is a BK athlete, represent. We also had uh, Leah Marie. We had our boy Lawrence. We had Evan Godby in the pro lineup of the, the men's div. We had uh, Beck Pateman, which, by the way, shout out, congratulations. She took out the, the world's uh, title for the pro fit bod, which is absolutely mm. insane. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, incredible. And uh, obviously, congratulations to, uh, to Joey as well and partner Mark as well. Uh, we also had Chloe, Chloe Rhodes, and uh, Zoe uh, Chiotakis as well, who were our new uh, WNBF bikini pros that turned pro this season. So, I mean, we had a pretty cool representative, you know, representative body over there, right? Like for for yeah. I guess a, a federation in Australia that just hasn't been as prominent, it's cool to see a good seven athletes over there in the first season of, well, I guess not really the, the technically the first, but you know, the first in terms of the re-emergence of WNBF within Australia. Yeah, I mean, especially with there being all categories now, uh, like bodybuilders and um, all the other divisions. So that's nice. And mm. yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of what the rankings were there. Like what was the the most prominent nationality? Like obviously probably the US was number one, but then I would have liked to think maybe Australia was in the top three or four potentially. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think, I have a feeling no. But mm. I mean, hey, we will we will certainly be bringing some more solid numbers, you know, as we move forward. But um, just reviewing like the the pro the pro lineups there, I don't think anyone was a returning champ. Like I think mm. 
everyone that was awarded the you know the world title the overall was was basically a new champ so that's that's firstly pretty pretty exciting there um to see sort of batter uh come second in that in that in that heavyweight lineup for the mm. bodybuilding div like you know batter is a big boy and he obviously immensely conditioned but um got got bested by by the the new the new pro which i believe uh, he actually turned pro that season, right? Yes, yeah, that's correct, Brian DeCosta. Yeah, yeah, Brian DeCosta. I think he turns, yeah, turned pro only in maybe a couple of months prior too. So, mm. you know, congratulations to him. What a what an insane physique, and also just jacked AF. You know, yeah, I think ridiculous. he was weighing something like eighty six, maybe eighty seven on stage, <laughs> yeah. which, like, that's nuts. Mm. <laughs> that's like take you or me and add an extra, you know, six seven kilos of lean tissue. Yeah, like, Jesus Christ, For sure. But um, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely crazy in that regard. I'm not going to lie though. I had mad FOMO. I definitely had some FOMO wanting to be yeah. over there and seeing, seeing them all living out of the house and mm. uh, you know, just how cool it will be to, to be up there. And you're obviously up next, man. So I'm sure this really kind of sparks that motivation moving mm. into uh, to your season. Yeah, definitely. I, as you said, like not just the aspect of competing overseas, but also just the camaraderie of camp general and, just being over there with with friends and um, conducting a peak week in a different environment like that's super appealing to me, um, especially if people are on their like five, fifth, sixth season. Like Lawrence has done quite a few seasons now. I'm sure it was nice for him to maybe do a peak week in a different setting rather than it's always in Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne. So yeah, yeah just that. the extra variables, right? Like the 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 traveling, navigating, yeah. you know, getting that sort of entire extra day in prep, obviously because of the time difference. You know, managing that different environments. It'd be interesting to to speak with Lawrence and just find out a little bit more about, you know, whether the the diet condition was actually challenging towards that tail end. I feel like you would be so mentally sort of distracted by mm -hmm. just the immensity of traveling and being in a new environment, sussing out new gyms. Like I think that excitement in a manner would would somewhat kind of override potentially that fatigue mm -hmm. that you're feeling towards the tail end of your season. Yeah. Well, I mean, from your experience, like even even when we're in peak week in Brisbane, I find that the kind of external motivation and excitement sort of outweighs the fatigue in peak week, especially with training, like being a slightly lower intensity and potentially there being more food involved as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I don't know what's going on in the water in Germany because <laughs> those two boys, Dirk clearly has an insane physique, brings some yeah. absolutely shredded glutes. But uh, that Benjamin bloke, God yeah. damn, 21 years old, and you know coming second or third potentially mm -hmm. you know in a in a, in the overalls for the WNBF which you know truthfully is like the equivalent of you know the natural the the, the olympia or the super bowl within natural yeah. bodybuilding um probably on 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 par if not you know similar to to that of obviously the INBA so pretty pretty damn crazy i mean think back to yourself at 21 myself at 21 yeah. i'm like there's no chance there's no chance i'm i'm showcasing a physique that's anywhere near near what what uh some of these boys are are coming up with so yeah mm. absolutely absolutely insane well jack give me a bit of an update as to, to what's going on with you mate where are we at in terms of training you're i was gonna say you're alone at this stage your your miso is over in japan i believe so you, are you spreading out you're sort of doubling up on the bed what's going on yeah well I'm, I'm trying not to spread out too much because then it's it'll be a rude awakening when she comes back i'll end up kind of splaying over her at night um but no it's i think uh yeah tiara and i were 
we haven't really had uh, too much time apart in our you know seven and a half years together so this will actually be the longest time uh we've spent apart which is a measly eight days but mm. um yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm looking forward to when she comes home yeah, and yeah. Uh, otherwise things have been things have been good on my end like i actually took a deload last week because i uh, it was only after five weeks so i deloaded on the six which is a bit abnormal for me but I was honestly just carrying a lot of fatigue. Like I went in there on the Monday for the leg session and uh, one of those sessions where you're just dragging your feet, like both mentally and physically. And uh, I still matched numbers, but like took the took the decision to deload. And um, it came as a, a, a good addition that like it now works out well where I can do another five week block. So I'm in week one right now. And then deload um, literally on the last week of the year, which is nice because it coincides with Christmas day as well. And then I'll, I'll mini cut after that. So I'll have a deload right before the mini cut, which will be nice. Mm, no, awesome. Well, yeah. I've never seen you so happy. So I don't know if that coincides with uh, <laughs> Tierra being, being away. Might sort of cut that out, right? Yeah, I'll <laughs> have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that sounds good. I am also uh, just about to implement a deload. I feel like, and you're probably similar with this, you know, you go into a, a training session, you might notice there's an acute rise in fatigue. But it's almost like, okay, am I experiencing fatigue just as a product of hard training at this point in time? Or am I actually really starting to feel the the detriments of consecutive weeks of pushing hard within the gym? And I feel like I can't base the consensus of whether I need to deload or not just based on one workout. Mm. I need to have a couple of workouts, if not maybe two or three in a row for me to establish you know, poor session productivity where I'm like, okay, you know, maybe it's good to implement something like a deload at this point in time. What do, what do you think on that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like I, 99% of the time I deload based on time. And I'm also of the mindset that, okay, if I do happen to deload a week early, then like, what are the negatives of that? Like there's, there's not many negatives. Um, whereas, and I guess there's not too many negatives associated with delaying the deload either, because does it really increase your risk of injury? It's really hard to, to say objectively whether it does, but maybe you just kind of feel worse and get slightly poorer quality training sessions in. Because again, that theory around overreaching correlating to more um, more stimulus or more hypertrophy is also very hazy from, from my knowledge at least. Um, but yeah, I would if a client asked me whether they should deload, I would say, okay, how many crap sessions have you had? Like, uh, and if they only said one, then I'd say, Hey, let's, let's go for the rest of this week and see how it goes. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm potentially not setting uh, a good example there, but um, it's, it's worked out well for the timeline regardless. Mm, mm, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, if I do receive a, a check-in with an athlete, that's probably reporting their, recoverability to be on the poor end same thing i'm typically asking them you know how many sessions have we had that haven't hasn't been ideal are we experiencing a few kind of niggles you know in the gym i would say are we even waking up and not waking up as restful like are we are we noticing that we're not actually sleeping and waking up feeling recovered mm. what's our kind of mental readiness going into these sessions as well and yeah i mean i feel like the the more trained you become over time the more you can understand whether it's just sort of this is a product of me just hard training and i kind of need to grind through it or whether actually you know what i'm you know eight weeks nine weeks of training without a deload at this point in time probably due for one very very soon so no i completely understand that i completely agree on that one well um let's move into another question here this is more so in relation to managing psychology in and around prep so 
This question was kind of centered towards managing tolerance, frustration, prep brain, irritability. Like we know uh, a symptom associated with the diet condition is like all of those th three things, right? Yep. And this is probably a horrible question to ask you because you're like the most chilled person I know, truthfully. But I guess when you think back to your last contest prep, did you notice that there were any occasions where irritability got, got higher or certain situations where, you know, it kind of set you off where maybe it wouldn't typically in the off season? Mm. Thinking back, honestly, not really. I find that I find that it's almost a bit of a bell curve potentially where there's a point in the dieting condition where you have enough energy to still get upset and angry. But then there's a point at where it falls off where you're so low EA that do you have enough energy to actually put emotion into uh, angst or anger, etc. And and that'll probably differ from person to person. But as you said, I'm a fairly moderate person. Like I, I'm pretty, pretty mellow. Um, mm. So yeah, not, not as much myself, but I think with clients just, and a psychologist would probably be able to answer this better than me, but just taking a step back and kind of looking at the situation from a bird's eye view and, and maybe just counting, counting to 10. And while you're counting to 10, just kind of think about what's going on. Think that you've chosen to do this. And sometimes I, I think that's overused or you've chosen to prep. Like sometimes I think if people just keep thinking that they might get a little bit bitter um, because it's still hard. It doesn't change how hard it is. Just the fact that you've chosen to do it yourself, but reminding that is important because you're inflicting um disruption to other people for something that you've chosen to do as a hobby for a, for a plastic trophy mm, absolutely but you know what it's an important plastic trophy man <laughs> so obviously you know hey could be plastic yeah. could be steel like <laughs> yeah and, and, a, and an eating disorder as well right that's the other yeah. that's the other that. <laughs> reward you, you receive just joking um but no i i completely agree on on that front there um you know, I think another sort of strategy to sort of put forth in that regard, which completely aligns with what you said, you know, taking a step back is sometimes really realizing your reason for the frustration. Like mm -hmm. if someone, for example, you're in the gym and someone comes over to you and, you know, says, hey, you know, you're looking great or, um, oh, I can tell you're dieting or, you know, something like that. You know, often I think a lot of the time we can kind of take that as a negative, like someone's disrupting my flow at this point in time, or, you know, maybe I'm in the midst of, midst of my rest, I'm psychologically getting ready for my next set. But someone that I used to always talk to in the gym comes up to me and says, says something or says hello. I think sometimes that can create a sense of irritability. And it's almost a matter of, you know, am I actually upset or angry or frustrated because truthfully that person has like said something to me or is it because i'm like tired and more so i'm fatigued you know i'm fatigued and i'm and i'm, and I'm hungry at this point in time and i think majority of the reason would be a self-reflection and go yeah i'm hungry as shit and mm -hmm. i want to eat something and you happen to be the person that i'm gonna you know portray this outlet towards um yeah. i think it's really 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 easy to get into that mindset of like you're the center of the world, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, as much as prep is important, it is a solo endeavor. It's true. You, you choose to do it, right? You choose to endure the diet condition, whether that that be fatigue, hunger, you know, et cetera. So I think there's a level of acceptance that that does come, come from that. Mm. Um, and it's almost like trying to like stealth prep, right? You're trying to prep in the least invasive manner to those those around you. 
But you're completely right in that there is a kind of a bell curve associated with that, right? Maybe at the start, you feel nothing. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're eight weeks into dieting. You're like, oh man, this is great. Like I could diet better even than the off season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel great. My performance yeah. is immense. Like, dude, coach, like I feel great. I could do this forever. And coach is like, hey, hey just <laughs> you wait, man. <laughs> it's more like, well, hey, if you're suffering like four weeks in, then shit, we got, mm. we got some work, work to, we got some work to do. This is not a good yeah. sign. Um, and then the middle aspect of prep, you know, we're starting to feel that kind of like water over stone a little bit. And then towards the, the, the later aspects of prep, it's like, I got no energy for any, for anything. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm watching a horrendous TV show that I don't care for. And the remote is outside of arm's reach. <laughs> and like, I don't want to, I'm going to endure this shit show neighbors or home and away. I might get some DMs from people hating on me for hating on those shows, <laughs> but uh, how many damn episodes are they on? What the fuck? Oh God. Yeah. I haven't even, I, that's a, that's a tangent in itself, but you know, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to reach for that remote because I'm just too fatigued to, there was plenty of times when I, you know, I did that and I wouldn't be, you know, you're not sitting, you're not sitting on a machine between sets. You're sitting in the machine. Like you're literally like laying into that thing with not an ounce of contraction upon anything. You're sitting point. in just the to... toilet, not on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Who knows? You might've even fallen in. You wouldn't know you're too, <laughs> too tired. So no, I completely, completely understand that. But, you know, I guess I, actually the... men I mentioned this on our TBD podcast. Like, um, I'm not sure if you experienced the same thing where like towards the end of prep, instead of standing up to piss, you're so tired that you just sit down to piss, which is obviously yeah. not a common occurrence for guys unless you're in prep, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Am I weird? But like usually, and this is in my own home environment, I'm usually sitting down. Really? Yeah, maybe it's just like um, I'm using it as an opportunity. <laughs> maybe this is too much information. We're just using this as an opportunity to chill mm, or, catch up on, or catch up on reels or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be dangerous to me because then I'd spend like half an hour on the toilet every time I sat down so yeah 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 oh my god how funny are some of the reels on instagram these days yeah you can just get lost looking through that shit my god i saw i saw i saw one recently and it was like it was like a caption and it was a picture it was a, a video of um kevin larone and you know he's hitting like this absolutely monstrous like most muscular pose and the caption is like like hey babe like why do you take so long in the shower <laughs> And the, and the captions like because I'm you know in there winning my like 56th like Mr. Olympia, and then in brackets it's like I'm freaking insane. Mm. <laughs> it just yeah, reminds it's... me of like so many people like bodybuilders who would just be in the shower like visualizing you know their prep and visualizing themselves on stage and practicing their posing, mm. trying not to slip slip over. Of course, I'm glad but... my shower doesn't face the mirror because then I'd be wasting a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, on the, on the topic of Instagram as well, like I've actually, um, I was, I was finding Instagram a bit too distracting in this, in my session. So I've actually sort of downloaded this app called X locker where I can lock myself out. And I mean, it doesn't truly lock you out because all you need to do is go on the app and then disable the, the, the lock on Instagram. But it's the act of actually having to do that, where if you do that, then you've, you've mentally failed yourself and you're, mm. you're a shit person. <laughs> uh, yeah. so uh, but it, it worked reasonably well. Like my session wasn't necessarily more efficient. It still took the same amount of time, which is which is useful data because it means that although I was being on my phone, like it, it the, the reason the session was relatively long was just because I needed that rest time. Other, cause like yeah. if my session was an hour shorter, then I would be like, hey, that was probably because I was scrolling too much. But that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the problems is 
with our phones, like everything's on the phone, right? Like yeah. the phone is the emails, it's the messaging, it's the Facebook, it's the social media, it's the LinkedIn, it's the, you know what I mean? It's just, Generous. it's everything on the one device. So I I also find it sometimes hard to die, kind of like purely disconnect and be 100% invested in in my session. Um, and truthfully, I've, I've been able to establish, establish that more so, I think because I'm less... I'm actually, I'm, I'm posting less about my training recently. And I don't, I don't post a lot about my training or my eating or my bodybuilding uh, much these days. And I think it comes from a place of, I'm just trying to relish and like enjoy being in, in the day to day and not have to kind of document every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Cause I do find that there is an aspect of the distraction that comes with, you know, setting up the camera upon every set that you do um, documenting every meal, like, and there's certainly nothing to be nothing to detest people from doing that, you know, documenting their journey, but I find it just becomes a big distraction for myself, uh, at times. And, you know, it, you can find yourself scrolling through the Instagram, like mid set. And it's kind of like that situation of like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just either killing time. Or I'm trying to look like I'm doing something in between a set other than drinking water and, you know, um, doing hip circles or arm circles look like I'm warming up my body, you know, for the next set. <laughs> like, am I just like trying not to be awkward and not, you know, buy time here? What am I actually doing? So as yeah. I, yeah. Have you noticed it's, it's been effective? Have you, have you gone and like reached for the Instagram and then gone? Oh, I shit. was about to say that. Yeah. Cause the, the app allows you to click on it, but then it just doesn't open the app. So I pro- probably like five or 10 times in the session, I would actually click on the app, not even intentionally, just cause like, that's where my mind gravitates towards um, cause I'll like log my thing and then maybe open Instagram, but, um, yeah, I'm keen to see how it goes. Cause it's only been two sessions. And, uh, on that note of like, like I would sort of represent what you said around, like, are you a consumer on Instagram or are you a, someone who shares information? Um, not that, I mean, the majority of people are consumers, not that that has a derogatory connotation to it, but like, I'm mainly a consumer as well. Like I, I, I maybe post a little bit more than you, but not, not a lot more. Um, just cause I've, I've always, I'm, as you can tell by my personality, I, I, I struggle to put things out there, um, of that fashion. Um, but it's, it's personally something I want to get better at, especially with, with prep upcoming. Um, and like, I'll often record myself in the gym anyway, because I need to kind of look at, um, execution and, and send stuff to AJ every so often. So, um, I may as well post it anyway. Mm, yeah, I will, I will probably record myself maybe once or twice within a week of training. Mm. So across five sessions, I'll probably record myself maybe once or twice. And I always think like, oh, you know, maybe I should, I should actually post this, but I always refrain from trying to post it in the session. Cause I find that like, you know, you can start getting distracted with the caption and this mm. and then that. And like, uh, it's just one of those things where I'm like, you know, I, I can wait until after my session, post it, and then it's not, you know, a big deal. But, uh, you know, I think it is common for perhaps people to sort of post their, you know, their, they do up their post or their video in the middle of their session. And I personally think that's distracting. Unless you're, yeah. you know, very efficient at Instagram and you can put out a post with your hashtags and everything like that, you know, within your an hour and a half workout, like, you know, mid, mid hack squats, you know, set sort of thing. Like, mm. I'm like, yeah, just wait till after. You'll be fine. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, you'll end up having a bunch of spelling errors or something. But I mean, I mean, I post our TBD stuff. Well, I used to in the gym. I'll have to figure out a way around that now. But 
I would already, I would have it all drafted up and the hashtags ready to go. So it's not like I would write the caption or anything in the session, mm. which is different. Yeah. Yeah. Almost put it as like a, what do they call it? A draft basically. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Well, um, moving on to our next question here. This is about uh, the apps. I'm speaking of apps and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> software, et cetera. Uh, the apps and that we may use for for tracking our training. So, I mean, I I feel like I already know that you use Sheets, right? Yeah. yeah Have I you know. tried using any of the the other like apps like Trainerize or like Kahunes or anything like that? Uh, so to give you my history, like when I first started going to the gym, like, and that was at school, they just gave us paper. So I just used the paper. And then after that, I think I went on to this one called... I can't even remember, but it was a super basic app where you just put in the, you put in the movements yourself and then, and then just filled it out. And then after that, I, my first coach was through Flex Success, Alan. And then, then I've been on Google Sheets since then, which was like 2017. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't dabbled in any other app since then, to be honest. Mm, mm, yeah. So I'm, I'm similar to you. When I first started getting into training, it was just pen and paper. We used to do resistance training sessions. Uh, like on the odd day back when I was at school to sort of complement my my swimming training. And yeah, we just had a paper, pen, and that, that was all like that was all you have. Like ancient times, right? I mean, kids these days would be like a pen. What the fuck is that? Like a paper? Paper. What you are you high? Like, what is that yeah. shit? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh yeah, so basically pen and pen and paper. And then I when I started getting more serious into training, which was was basically my first year of uni. Um, you know, you'd look up the, for the coolest and latest, you know, strength training program to follow sort of thing. And so I'd, I'd start uh, following like Smolov and uh, Shaco and, you know, these, these kind of programs uh, and they were all sort of like Google sheets or, or Excel based. So I guess that's what's kind of got me into using Excel and, and sheets. And when I, when I started PTing, I did sort of dabble in trainer eyes for a little bit there, but um I always like found myself just gravitating back to Google Sheets. Hey, mm. I I would always get sort of slight frustrations with certain aspects of of these apps where I would find it would take me too long to like input the reps for for sets or set up the the, the training mesocycle. You know, it would kind of take too long as opposed to just sheets. You could just lay out your template and you know you are you are good to go. Um, you know, I think there's some other great apps out there, like Kahunes is a, is a new and emerging one, I think, which is kind of somewhat similar to to Trainerize, and I know a few coaches that that obviously use that app. Um, but I think when it comes down to track, and I think there's also like the Strong app as well, which I've I've seen mm-hmm. people use. Um, I oh, think yeah, the, and the, day, um, the new Renaissance periodization one is yeah 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 the RP RP yeah. Strength. I personally have not used that app before. Have you looked into it at all? I've heard Mike Isretel talk about it quite a lot. Um, it looks it looks great. Like it has just the, I'm not sure if it's AI or just like an algorithm that adjusts it for you, but it looks quite neat how it will suggest how many reps or load that you should be doing and assesses your recoverability as well, like when you should deload, which I think for people who maybe slightly are beginner to intermediate, like it could be beneficial for them. Um, especially a lot of people are still, of course, uh, doing too much volume as well, or potentially doing too much. And that will help kind of encourage them to maybe train harder because it suggests the reps that they should be doing. 
Mm. Uh, but then again, you also have to rate your perceived exertion after the set. So some people might be like some might, someone might have had six reps in reserve and said that it was a 10 RPE, which uh, would then interfere with the algorithm. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, per perceived fatigue is always going to be subjective, right? And mm. there comes a point where, you know, eventually you get better, a better understanding with regards to your, your proximity of fatigue slash failure. And we've actually spoken about this before, but, you know, when you're programming for a lot of your sort of new athletes and, and clients, do you often find you're giving them more volume or, or less volume? A little bit more to start because yeah. it almost acts as a bit of a what's the word like crutch or safety mechanism that if some sets aren't performed to the best standard, then you have a little bit of extra volume to make up for it. Yeah. 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 I would actually say I'm probably the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like I find I do have, you know, quite a few athletes that, that on board and they're like, you know, my upper body sessions, I'm doing like nine exercises or like 10 exercises, my lower body day, I'm doing like eight, you know, nine. Right. Exercises. I misinterpreted oh. the question. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. You're, you're okay. But, um, yeah, I often find that that there's like a lot of volume, like a ton mm. of volume, right? In in these these individuals' program, and I'm like, man, this is a lot. Like, uh, how's our recovery? Oh yeah, recovery's fine. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I mean, if we're pushing damn hard in in all of these exercises, nine exercises for a lower body session, how long is this taking? Two and a half hours. All right, you know, can we potentially pull this back a little bit and you know raise the intensity of of these sets here? You know, I guarantee you like two hard sets on a hack squat, man, you want to move on to the next exercise. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, what, how I'm uh, interpreted that question was like compared to someone who's been with me for like maybe a year, two years, like, am I giving the people more or less volume? I actually give people a little bit more volume when they start but compared to like myself or compared to another of more, one of my more advanced clients, but it's usually ends up still being less volume than what they've currently been doing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually can, I can relate to that as well. I have a, a few athletes that are just, you know, well, a lot of athletes that are very strong and, and, uh, but there are a couple who I know don't respond well to high volumes. Like mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're running, they're, they're four weeks into a training block and they're like, Oh man, my joints are just hacked. Like they're just, they're just not feeling good. All right. Let's, let's assess movement quality here. Movement looks great. There's nothing, nothing wrong here. Okay. Maybe just, we just need to kind of pull our volumes down a little bit. And I think it just comes from, you know, when you're lifting immensely heavy and you're, you're uh, replicating that across multiple sets, you know, perhaps there's just a, a higher degree of fatigue that's accumulated as a result. So we kind of need to pull, pull down the working sets on some of these much you know heavier, heavier movements. What's your sort of advice for yourself and clients who, and this might partially relate to a deload, but let's say their physical recovery is good, but like, and they're, they're a bodybuilder. So you know that they're kind of enthused about bodybuilding as a whole, but they're reporting in that I just like, I'm not that enthused by training anymore. Like they don't really have that drive to get after it in the session, even though their physical recoverability is good. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I often think it's associated with other stresses that are going on in, in someone's life. Like, uh, I think if we have a lot of additional stresses outside of the gym, it can really impact your, your, your willingness to perform or your interest, or I guess it might even alter what bodybuilding means to you. You know, mm -hmm. I think some athletes, for example, who might even be, you know, listening to this and, and experiencing this at this point in time is, is that, you know, post-show sometimes can be a, an immense struggle for a lot of athletes because, 
they no longer have that, you know, that immediate kind of goalpost of, of their season, right? All of a sudden they're in the off season now and mentally it's like, okay, they're just, they're just sort of like what roll back into the off season and they just start, you know, becoming a performance athlete again. Well, that's kind of the consensus, right? But I, I think a lot of athletes kind of struggle with that mindset. And I always sort of provide that reassurance that, you know, whenever you're doing something for long enough, you are going to go through peaks and valleys in in relation to your motivation, right? You do something for long enough, you're bound to have periods in time where you just won't have that same degree of drive associated with uh, a certain sport, activity, goal, et cetera. Um, you know, if it truly means something to you and you truly value it, I think you'll stick with it and you'll kind of you'll kind of ride that that wave a little bit. You'll ride mm-hmm. that sort of valley because eventually it will, you know, peak peak up again. And I can even reflect on myself, like part after the the 2021 season, I did, you know, I did immensely well. Uh, you know, I did did great, but I did find that, you know, a couple of months post, it's like my motivation to train just went down the drain. I'd still trained, I still trained hard, but it wasn't like, I wasn't from a place of enjoyment or love Mm. or like passion or anything like this. It was more of a matter of like, I don't know anything else. This is just what I do. And I was just doing it, you know, but there wasn't a love for it, which, you know, it's hard to do something when you don't truly love it at that point in time. Right. And I think maybe, maybe I look back on the season and, you know, I think about training as a whole, the the main reason I train because I love it and it brings joy to me, not necessarily to compete. Uh, like if I was told tomorrow that, Hey, Dan, I'm sorry, man, but you just can't compete in bodybuilding ever again, for whatever reason, of course I would be not happy about it, mm. but I would be stoked that I could still train. Like I would, that would be the, the, the kind of the, like the, the foundation that I would still like leverage on, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think for those, those athletes that kind of struggle with that concept of, of motivation around training, it's, it's, it's really a matter of, okay, well, firstly, can we just assess what else might be contributing to this issue? Have I truly just lost a passion and love for bodybuilding or is something kind of, you know, sapping away from this energy a little bit? I don't think in life we can sort of compartmentalize everything You know, everything has some sort of, you know, impact upon one another. Is it a relationship? Is it uh, my mindset towards, you know, training? Am I putting too much pressure on myself at this point in time? Uh, does my time or my roster or my career not really align with my bodybuilding goals as well? I don't have as much time as I need to, to train. And the time that I do have is 45 minutes. Whereas I like to take, you know, an hour and a half of my training session. This doesn't align anymore. So I guess it's kind of reevaluating everything and just re trying to, you know, realign your kind of ducks in a row in that, in that degree, but also accepting that there are going to be times where motivation, you know, does, does dip in that regard. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I I think especially the point where if you truly are passionate about what you're doing, like you just need to ride that wave and wait till it comes back. Um, especially, and that may even be, you may not notice it, but it will be coincided with those external life stresses that you are going through at that time. Um, once those resolve, then um, chances are your enjoyment will increase again. Mm, mm. And I feel like some for some individuals where you know, again, coming back to the sort of the concept of social media, you know, social media for a lot of individuals is is a highlight reel, right? So I feel like for those individuals that maybe do go through lesser motivation associated with training, it kind of only exacerbates that more when you bring up, you know, your Instagram feeds and everyone's absolutely stoked about their training and you're sitting there in your session going, well, I'm just not enjoying training right now. Like what's wrong with me? You know what I mean? And you start reflecting upon why others aren't the same, why do I, you know, not get the same enjoyment out of my training at this point in time? 
But I guarantee you, you know, those individuals that also post, you know, how great their workouts are, like eventually in their life too, they're all, they're going to go through a bit of a lull, lull period as well, right? Well, like maybe, not just maybe they are, chances are they might not be enjoying it and they're just saying they are. Yeah, That's so true. Yeah, that's mm. so true. So I guess play your own game at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Well, uh, moving on to our last question here that we do have. Uh, this question is centered, and actually, this is a great question for you, Jack, considering that you are a dietitian, and it is on protein intake and retention of lean tissue within a diet phase. So is there sort of a certain amount that we should be consuming? Uh, is there like a cutoff? You know, is there too much? What, what would sort of be your recommendation or guideline in, in, in that regard? Yeah, so I tend to not overcomplicate this topic. And like, for example, some people like referencing protein as per like lean body mass as opposed to total body mass. But I think uh, that's, I mean, if you want to get even more specific, then sure, go for that. And I couldn't cite off the top of my head those particular recommendations, but I tend to err in the in the in the line of like two to three grams per kilo of of total body weight, and I would say that for, not just for the retention of lean body mass, but also from an appetite standpoint as well. Considering that protein is the most satiating macronutrient, so um, particularly in a prep, then erring maybe closer to that two and a half grams per kilo body weight or even three. Uh, may further assist with um, satiation as well, but also factoring in the amount of calories someone needs to be on. Like if someone has to dig really hard, then potentially like if, if carbs are at 100 or 75, then maybe you, you're going to have to reduce protein. You can't just keep reducing fats and carbs. And granted not, I mean, those people are relatively few and far between, but um, that's an example. Mm, no, they're all really good. They're all really good points there. I think, I guess for someone who's maybe employing something like a, you know, a mini cut where the consensus is that you're not aiming to get to the same level of, of leanness is obviously something like a contest prep. I think towards that upper, that, you know, the upper range of protein recommendation could be very sufficient, right? 2.2 grams per kilo body weight would, would likely be adequate. Mm. Um, just like you said, you know, then moving into, I mean, that recommendation of, let's say the, 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 um, the ISSN statement on protein intake, you know, let's say 1.6 to 2.2 grams per mm. kilo per body weight. You know, I feel like those recommendations are based on people that have adequate levels of body fat and not yeah, people yeah, that sure. are extremely lean, right? We're talking, you know, 4%, 5%, like yeah, just essential levels mm. of body fat, you know, if that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, potentially leveraging upon uh, a higher protein intake in, uh, in more severe cases of dieting would be advantageous, right? So like you said, you know, maybe pushing up towards sort of the three. In fact, one of the, one of the ways in which I calculate protein intake for a contest prep competitor is I work out their estimated stage weight. And then I figure out the grams per kilo body weight uh, more sort of close towards like the 2.8, 2.7, you know, somewhere around there. Okay. What, what, you know, this is where I want protein to sit at the very end of prep in terms of grams per kilo body weight. So let's set this protein from the start and let's potentially just hold that through the course of prep. So yeah, their grams per kilo body weight might sit obviously lower as their weight, their scale weight is higher. And as they diet down grams per kilo mm. body weight tends to increase, even though the amount stays the same. Yeah. Um, do you, yeah. do you tend to recommend anything around uh, like protein feed per serve, like per, per meal, as in like, you know, leucine threshold association, mm. like do you, do you tend to prescribe anything in relation to that? Yeah, I do have some, I do mention that to clients, some certain recommendations. And the other point I was going to make too, like, and, and it, it, it kind of reinforces where 
people getting over pedantic or over specific around protein like we then have to go back to like what is the how accurate are you even tracking like first of all are you even hitting that protein target secondly how are you tracking and like is your tracking accurate enough to warrant being that specific and and also is your protein sources varying a lot because again the more you vary the more the, or the less accurate it's going to be due to that plus or minus like 20% leeway and accuracy for any given product. Um, so that's, that's something to just, just mention and acknowledge. And uh, when it comes to uh, protein, yeah, around 0.4 to 0.5 grams per kilo of body weight per, per meal. So someone who weighs hundred kilos, that's like 40 to 50 grams of protein per meal. And obviously that trying to get that mainly from HBV protein, or that should essentially be that, like exclusively HBV protein. Uh, so high biological value, something from an animal product, which will naturally have that kind of leucine threshold. But mm, no, that's that's very viable. I know like, for example, Lane, Lane Norton's research was on, on, on leucine threshold, you know, and sort of trying to, to figure out if there's a, this optimality, like sort of associated with protein feeds and, you know, is there a certain amount of leucine required to stimulate MPS outside of resistance-based training, you know, things like that. So yeah, no, I, I think um, one of the practical recommendations for, I guess, protein feeds or, you know, distributing your protein is, you know, let's say your goal is 200 grams of protein. Realistically, you probably don't want to achieve that in just two meals, right? <laughs> two meals within yeah. a day. Like practically speaking, we probably want to space this out, you know, adequately from the consensus of getting adequate protein feeds, reducing gastrointestinal disruption and, and comfort, improving comfort. And, um, and also just managing hunger, right? It's probably more feasible to like have your 200 grams split up between four meals as opposed to just like two giant meals that's going to make you overly uncomfortable. Um, you know, that being said, I guess the if you had to consume your meals within a lesser you know frequency, it's probably still ideal to potentially hit your protein goal, irrespective yeah. of whether, you know, meal frequency is, is, is far less, but optimally speaking, it's probably best to just like space that out adequately. Mm. Um, on the flip side of that, you probably don't need to eat, you know, eight meals in the day or eating, you know, all having adequate protein to, you know, tick off that optimality checkbox in terms of protein feeds. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if someone, if someone did have eight meals a day, and let's say their threshold was like they're trying to get in 40 grams of HPV in one meal. That's 320 grams of protein. And that's not even the trace protein either. So you're having <laughs> yeah. probably like 400 grams of protein at that point. So there does come a point of diminishing returns where like, uh, and, and I often recommend like a three to six meals or snacks per day for that reason. Like, and six is, I, I rarely recommend six to people because it also... This, uh, brings up the point of like you don't have to make six meals and then you have to eat six times a day which is for someone who's a busy that's, job, right? <laughs> yeah exactly i've always personally just stuck to four meals myself plus a intra workout like that works for my schedule really well yeah i'm I'm the exact same four meals is is usually the the go-to i find mm -hmm. five is just an inconvenience and yeah. it's just unnecessary for me you know um i often wonder if if the the whole like there's that whole stigma and that whole uh, fallacy around, you know, the six to eight meals per day and how that being, you know, it's almost like the the bro code for optimality, right? Like yeah. reading back in the flex magazines, the, you know, stoking the, the furnace. development, yes, yeah, stoking the metabolic furnace. Like unless you're eating those eight meals a day, you are catabolic, my man. Doesn't matter what you're eating, how much, like what time. The quality of the food, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, quality of the food doesn't matter. Like you just need, you know, those eight meals per day. I often wonder if if that comes from the fact that, you know, often these magazines are written about some of the, the you know, the big boys in the IFBB, right? Who, mm. I mean, you joke about, let's say 300 grams of protein, but if you look at someone like Ronnie Coleman, man, he probably was on that. If not, you know, probably more, right? I think he was so, on literally probably like over 500. I watched a a Will Tennyson video of, of Ronnie Coleman's diet and like the amount of chicken he used to eat was. Yeah. 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 So like, then you look at, you know, you look at that and you think, well, okay, uh, this man probably has to consume eight meals per day. Right. Mm. And then you've had, then you have others that look at that and go, Oh my God, eight meals a day, direct association with Ronnie Coleman. Look, therefore like I need to eat eight meals a day to look like that. It's like, well, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, above and beyond, you know, other things that maybe need to be mm. done to, to look like that, like have top tier genetics is probably, probably one of those. Yeah. Unless you look like Ronnie Coleman, then you probably don't need to do what he's doing. Yeah. Or unless you are Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ain't nothing but a peanut. But uh, that basically wraps up today's episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Just to kind of preface here, uh, Lawrence isn't 15 kilos up. He's actually 20 kilos. I'm just kidding. He's not actually kilos up. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we will have the boys back on in uh, in short, in short, short, short duration, but uh, they are enjoying themselves and, and rightfully so over in the States, in New York. But uh, thank you for joining us today on the Bodybuilding Done Under podcast. If you love today's episode, give us a subscribe and a five-star review, and we will certainly see you in the next episode.